And let's open them to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew and chapter 18 in particular. Appreciate those who got to be with us last Wednesday night as they began, spoke on a more excellent way, and particularly the uh, little thing, the need of a more excellent way. Was the uh, title, particularly of the message, and uh, it introduced us and transitioned from 1 Corinthians 12, chapter dealing with the giftings that God gives, to 1 Corinthians 13, laid the foundation for the fact that without charity, which is what's dealt with in 1 Corinthians 13, then the gifts actually become oftentimes a stumbling block or even a tool that people use against each other. We found out about... Uh, Schisms, which is a separation or dividing in the body. We found out about schism by inferiority. And the Lord was illustrating about the body, how all the different parts make up the body. And it said that the uh, foot can't say because I'm not a hand, that I'm not part of the body. The ear can't say because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. That's schism by inferiority. People don't get to sing of charity, they think because they can't do what someone else can do that somehow they're not useful. Then right after that, you have the different parts of the body saying to each other, I have no need of you. It can't say I have no need of you. And that's schism by arrogance and pride and others when somebody says, well, look what I can do. And uh, I wish everybody could do this, you know. And, uh, and so learn along those ways. But we're going in to 1 Corinthians 13 and dealing with that on this Wednesday, God willing. I've got some really... Neat stuff with that. But here in Matthew chapter 18, the message this morning is that titles in the form of a question. The question is this, did you get forgiveness alone? Now, I'm not asking you, are you the only one who got forgiveness? That's not the way. There's a couple ways that sentence can be taken. But I'm asking, is forgiveness the sole thing that you got? Did you get forgiveness alone? We're going to understand this better through the context of what we're getting ready to read here in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, this parable is spoken by the Lord. Um, I do not profess before you to be able to give you all the doctrinal application or even understand what might be all the doctrinal application of this. There are parts of it I look at and I can't expound to you completely, but that doesn't keep me from teaching you what I can teach you. I learned something about the Bible a long time ago, and this will help you in your walk. I never dismiss what I do know for what I don't because of what I don't know. I never let what I can't quite figure or I can't quite figure how it fits in throw out what obviously is the entire body of what's being taught. You say, well, is there a problem, a contradiction between there? There's a problem with my understanding often. And uh, I may not understand how things go together. In fact, I may even be trying to put the wrong thing in the wrong place to fit together. <laughs> I just uh, In my studies in 1 Corinthians, I was reminded again, we know in part. Well, that's an important thing to know. <laughs> we know in part. That's, 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 that's a real revelation to some folks. Um, we know in part. You know, the Bible said the prophecies, where there be prophecies, of course, in the New Testament, as we're doing prophecies now, we're not giving new Word of God like the Old Testament prophets did, but we're speaking forth that which was written. It says where there are prophecies, it says they shall fail. What does that mean? That they won't be true? No, it means it comes a point in time where they, it goes beyond them or they can't address the situation or they just lose their strength. 
You, yeah, right now, you can visit a lot of places that have the name church attached to them. Many of them have the name Baptist of some type and won't have the Bible opened and explained. That's a failing of prophecy. That's a failing of speaking the Word of God. The Bible speaks of a time of famine, not of bread, but of hearing the Word of God. You want to try something real interesting sometime, have a church on your hands that needs a pastor. I hope you don't have that anytime soon because it wouldn't be good for me. But, the, uh, but having been pastoring more than one church at a time on a couple, three different occasions, um, and looking for someone to recommend to that church so they can vote him in, let me tell you something. It's not like uh, Bible-believing preachers that are actually Bible-believing preachers are just you know dropping off every tree in the forest. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have the Word of God. And I'm glad for people that I get to hear, often many of them by different uh, recordings and such, but where I listen to preaching because I need it, so I, I seek it out and I listen to it. And people we can bring through here, I think about Brother Smith here and all the years, him just preaching the Word. And uh, thank God for him. They're very, very valuable and very precious with that. But Matthew chapter 18, as I, as I ask you this question... Uh, about did you get forgiveness alone? I want you to look at what happens here with this. Look, uh, let's begin verse 21. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Is anybody but me a little suspicious of that question? Also, when you read the context, there wasn't something that you know about that was happening right before that. Peter just shows up and asks this kind of question. How many times do I need to forgive somebody? Knowing Peter through the Bible, I'm a bit suspicious. He's like, this was number eight. I can do something about it now. You know, That's just, You just kind of get that idea. Maybe I'm off on that, but it's, uh, I don't know. I put down beside it what I do know, and uh, this was personally just for me when I studied it some time past. I write notes in my Bible. I, uh, I, I uh, circled those three words, sin against me, that are about center of that verse. And I wrote off to the right, quit counting personal offenses. That was just instruction to me as I read through. Quit counting personal offenses. Well, this is the third time. Do you know they've done this? Quit counting. Personal offenses. That, I saw that and I thought, well, that's good. That's why I write things in the Bible. I come back through again. It reminds me of what the Lord showed me when I came through some other time. Jesus saith unto him, verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That probably was not what he was looking for as an answer. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. So, you know, it's a parable. He's going into the phrase odds. He's likened unto. Here's what's like. I'm going to show you a picture of something here. It is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So that's a smart thing to do. The, the king goes through and it's, an, it's the day of reckoning. Reckoning is, an, it is a financial term. It is an idea of bringing balances into uh, uh, accounts into balance. And balances into account could be either way, I guess. But... He said, uh, he, said, I'm going to, uh, he said, I'm going to take account of my servants. I'm going to make sure. And this king obviously had many, many things to do and couldn't know every detail of everything going on. Uh, if he could, he couldn't operate the whole thing. He's got to trust people to do things, but you've got to go back through and check. And that's what he's doing here. So he takes, and uh, verse 24, And when he had began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten 
thousand talents. The very lightest weight I have ever read in any document about about talents, ancient measurements, and stuff. It's a it's a weight measurement. The very lightest I've ever read, and it's the only time I ever read it this light, was fifty six pounds. That is not what you get across the board when you start trying to resource, 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 figuring out what talents are. And I was figuring it out years and years ago for the uh, hailstones about the si- uh, size of a talent are going to rain down during part of the tribulation. Most of the weight puts it from 100 to 120 pounds. Now your mind's saying how devastating a hailstorm like that will be. It will be. But in this case, it's a weight measurement of money. I don't care if he owes 10,000 talents in brass. That's unbelievable. But in silver or gold, which would be the normal thing, this is astronomical. This is, this is Bernie Madoff. This is... This is <laughs> I don't know who that is, but that's... Man, I mean... This fellow has gotten into the king's coffers and he's gotten so far behind that he is just buried beyond belief. Isn't that unreal? So he comes to the king and he owes 10,000 talents. That's astronomical. And it uh, could be a lot of ideas about what that might have been worth, but I'd say it's, it's got more zeros on the end than you want to see unless it's coming towards you. And uh, he said, so this fellow comes in and he owned 10,000 talents, verse 25. But for as much as he had, how much to pay? Not. Guess what he had to pay off this debt with? Nothing. His Lord commanded him to be sold. That's what they did. Because owing somebody not paying them is called thievery. He commanded him to be sold and his wife... And children. See, at this day and time, it just didn't pay to be married to a bad man, did it? Still doesn't. And all that he had and payment be made, facing very stiff consequences. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshiped him. So you can imagine him just falling right before the king. Total vulnerable position of, I can't do anything. Saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Brave words, but how? How? Not going to happen. Reality is, this isn't happening. Then, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Now this speaks to the heart of the king, not the condition of the fella. And loosed him. I like that. And forgave him the debt. He said, All right. He says, let's just forget that. Wow. But the same, the same servant. All right? No question, right? Same fellow. And he comes out of there. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Woo! <laughs> Free of that kind of burden heading out. Wow. He comes out. He's excited. He just, man, he just had all this forgiven. He went out and found, he went looking for somebody. Who's he looking for? 
he found one of his fellow servants, fellow of the same rank. The servant had owed his king. Now he finds somebody of his own standing. Goes and finds him. And say they bumped into each other, says he found him. He found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. It's a decent day, debt. According to what else you read of this time period and such, it was a normal day's wage. So it's been a decent, decent amount, but doable. Something could have been set up. He owed him a hundred pence and laid hands on him, and watch this, and took him by the throat. That's interesting. I was looking that up, just finding the location of that, and I was referencing back to it, and I punched in just as a find word, I put in the word neck, and realized it didn't show up. And I, no, it's not neck, I know better than that. He took him by the throat. You realize he's taking him by the neck, he could have grabbed him by the scruff. You're coming with me till you pay. I got you, you're going, you owe me something. That'd be bad enough. But y'all, I don't take well that kind of handling. But somebody grabbed him like that, that'd be rough, wouldn't it? What'd he take him by? <laughs> he's throttling the guy. You're gonna pay me! Or something to that effect. And he grabs him by the throat. You come up and you like laid hold of somebody's throat. You're serious about it. I'm going to choke it out of you. That's kind of dumb. Choke him. <laughs> You're not going to get anything out of it. And uh, the, uh, but he grabs him by the throat. Look at the just vicious aggressiveness there. He goes find him. The guy who's in 100 pence. Pay me that thou us. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. You see the fellow basically assumes the same posture and does the same thing that this fellow had just done towards the king, fell down at his feet and besought him saying, oh my goodness, look at it. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Question for you. That servant who just ended up throttling this guy, did he have any chance of paying that king back? He didn't have anything to pay. Is it very feasible a fellow servant could have got 100 pence back to him? But it's amazing that this fellow, after grabbing the guy and the guy falling down, doesn't hear that the man saying the same words to him that he had just said to his king. The same words. The same words. Watch what happens to it. And he said, have patience. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. There used to be a term called debtor's prison. Debt wasn't tolerated. And so he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. See, that caused a lot of, a lot of problem. And came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Now the king hears about this. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou, what type of servant? Wicked servant. He said, you had owed me money. Now you've displayed wickedness. He said, really? You said you would not listen to this fellow? I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? In other words, he said, is all you got was forgiveness? 
that the only thing you got out of that whole thing between us was that you were forgiven? See what happens next. And the king was wroth. That means the anger had built to a point of it acting, coming out, being let loose. The king was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Well, the fellow servant got put in prison. This guy gets the tormentors. That sounds like worse to me. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every man, one his brother their trespasses. So preacher, what all does that mean? Well, it means what it says. I think a lot of Christian people might have a different idea about it, but I think we can come to one simple conclusion, and that's this. It's not good. That's not talking about something good that's happening, is it? Why? Because it says that we must forgive this thing here. Now the question I ask, and by way of the title is this, did you get forgiveness alone? We like that song. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. I love that song. It's a good song. I like to talk about the fact of being forgiven of our sins and we mention that. We should. It's a good thing. It's a glorious thing. But if I were to ask you that and you truly are a safe person in this room, you know the Lord is your Savior. I don't assume because you're sitting in a Baptist church that you know the Lord. But if you do know the Lord and I ask you in the context, did you just get forgiveness? You would have to honestly answer, no, you didn't. Because you didn't just get forgiveness. Thank God for that. You didn't get it alone. Um, you got, uh, uh, you got uh, some things that went with it. Let me show you a couple of those. Look in Romans chapter 4. This shows us something about our spiritual forefather, Abraham. Romans chapter 4. It is hot and sticky up here. Is it hot and sticky out there? You all pretty comfortable? Well, you come up here a while. Let me preach from down there then. I never adjusted according to what I feel up here. It's always warm up on the platform. Romans chapter 4. Often when a storm's rolling through, it affects things. And then the building's trying to keep up with it. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 20, what it says about Abraham, our spiritual forefather, thinking about this thing of if we got forgiveness alone. It says in verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him, his believing in God, for righteousness. Now, it was, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. You understand imputation is something being counted to your account that you had not earned. It's something accredited to you that you did not earn. And... Abraham's faith in God was accounted to him. It was imputed to him as righteousness. He was made to be righteous in the sight of God because he counted God to be righteous. He said, God, I believe you're righteous. I believe you. And God said, I'll share my righteousness with you then. I'll 
I'll give this to you. Verse 24 again, But for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered for our offenses. That's why He was taken to Calvary. And was raised again. There's the resurrection. Why? For our justification. So we could stand before God just as if we had never sinned. We can actually be clear in our standing before God. And so this is why it was given. And so if you're truly saved and you're asked this question, did you get forgiveness alone? No, you didn't. You got an imputation. You received, uh, you received justification. You were accepted in the eyes of God. You were given the righteousness of God. The Scripture speaks of this when it talks about that Christ, it says He was made to become sin for us who knew no sin. He never did sin, but He became sin for us on our behalf. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And that great transaction that happened there happened when we got saved. I'm glad my sins are forgiven. I'm glad that's taken off my record, but I also needed something on my record. It isn't enough that my record was, was uh, purged from the, the guilt. I needed the presence of God's righteousness. I have to have some standing whereby I can stand in front of it. Suppose I were to go in and seek a, seek a position or seek somebody to trust me to do something, I would need some standing. They'd say, I never meet you. I, I had a young fellow call me this week and uh, was trying to get going in the field of evangelism. He says, the Lord's called him to evangelism. We got talking a little while. And uh, he's new at it, you can tell. New at calling, new at the whole thing. And that's fine, that's good. And he said to me, he said, well, uh, I was glad he got to the point. I like a fellow who actually get to the point. He said, I'm trying specifically to see if I might be able to come and speak to your church. And I talked to him a few minutes. I said, you don't understand. I said, I just met you on the phone. And I said, just so you know, going forward with this conversation, I'm going to talk to you, get to know you here some. I said, but I have no intention at all of letting you preach my church right now. I just want you to know that. And I said, it's not mean or anything. It's not because you're young. I don't know who you are. I'm not even... You know, you've got some references and people that can recommend you in the ministry. I don't know where you came from, what you are, what you believe, <laughs> what your track record is. Guess where I'm not turning you loose? Not here. And, uh, and so it's, uh, you say, what is it? We just didn't have standing. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I didn't think ill of him. He just had no standing. If I got a call, and let's say Brother Smith, he's only traveling specifically right now. But if he was coming through and said, Bro, man, just letting you know, me and Mr. Stell are going to be stopping by to visit your church. He'd do this in times past when his health was better. We might we'll be there, hopefully, with you on Sunday service. I might say to him, Well, Brother Smith, while you're here, why don't you preach? I don't guarantee that I would. I don't do it just as a matter of course, but I say, While you're here, why? Because he has standing. You see what I'm saying? He has, he has, he has uh, years of experience, and I know him and know his record, know who he is, and I look at him and say, Yes. I'd, turn, I'd let you loosen this pulpit any time. We need standing before God. Certainly our sins need cared for because we can't be a filthy thing before a holy God. But we need standing. Now where's our standing going to come from? From our earthly righteousness? That's not going to work. The Scripture itself says all our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. Measured human to human, they may be good. 
measured against the holiness of a thrice holy God. They aren't. And we need standing. And so when we get saved, we get that standing. God's righteousness. The ability to stand for God. By that's what why by the way, slow down, get my words together. By the way, that's why we can have confidence to come to God and we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we're clothed, the Bible says, robed in the righteousness of Christ. I know the standing that I have. So I need to come that way. And then uh, eternal life, the Bible says that to us. The wages of sin, you know this church, the wages of sin is what? It certainly is. But the what? Gift of God. Gift of God. Gift of God is what type of life? That's eternal life is different than the temporary or biblically temporal life that we have in our fleshly life. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see that uh, we've got eternal life. Did you just get forgiveness alone? Did you get forgiveness alone? No, not if you're truly saved. You also got righteousness. You also got eternal life. You see, the things that were added to your record are far more significant even than that which was taken away from it. I want to show you this one. Look in 1 John chapter 5. Turn to this one with me, please. 1 John's back there right before you get to Revelation. Yeah. 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. 1st John chapter 5. I'm talking to you here about what we got. First John chapter 5. Verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. You understand that doesn't mean you've changed God's character. We add a little bit to it the way we say it sometimes. We made him out to be. We'll put that little phrase in there, put a little, put a little prepositional phrase on it. That's what I'm talking about with that. And I think that's very evident when you read it. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Why? Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. God's given a record, in fact, a written record about Jesus Christ. And if you take God's written record, whether it be about how He created everything or about His Son, and you reject it, then you called the author of that record a liar. I write a note to you about something and you discard what I said, you call me a liar. Like I had that happen. And a little thing I was doing, I sent some factual things to a person and they said... I'm going to check. I don't believe this to be the way that you said it was. And it wasn't a factual thing. They were calling me a liar. I don't believe you did this. And, uh, well, all right. That's one thing to say that to a man, but not to say that to God. And, uh, and so it, it says that. But watch this. And I'm talking about not getting forgiveness alone. Verse 11, this is the record. What is that record? That God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. If I were to take uh, this little... Uh, uh, this would be better actually. I've actually done the soul winning with the new, soul winning New Testament. I'm going to use that one because I'll lose the place where I'm studying right this moment. This week. There. I'm going to do that one. Oh, that's another one. This one there. Hold on. I'm messing up two days worth of study. There we go. All right. 
You have these ribbons in your Bible, and uh, they are there. Now look what the verse says. It says, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not, the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, be certain, that you have, present tense right now, that you have eternal life, and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It goes on to the confidence we have. Suppose that this little ribbon here, short though it may be, were to represent eternal life, right? So what's the ribbon, 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 ribbon? Uh, what, is it, uh, what, what is it representing? Eternal life, all right? So you have that. And then we'll have the Bible represent the Son, Jesus Christ Himself. That's kind of a good representation, isn't it? The Word. And so the Bible represents who? Jesus. The ribbon represents who? Okay, this is eternal life, right? Eternal life. And so let's look at the verse again. It says there uh, in, in verse 11, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. Here's the eternal life. Where's the eternal life? That's in His Son. It's in Christ. Well, let me show you something with this, if I may. Brother Carpenter, may I use you for a moment? So the ribbon represents what? Eternal life. The Bible represents who? Jesus Christ. The eternal life is in His Son. So, if I come and on the day I meet this gentleman and I'm speaking to him, and I talk to him about the Gospel witness, talk to him about Christ. He was not a believer prior to this. Lord has touched his heart through the gospel, and he wants Christ to be a savior. That's a good thing. Isn't it? Figuratively speaking, I ask him at some point, in some manner, will you receive Christ? Let's let the Bible represent Christ with that. And I say, will you receive Christ? And he does. Now we understand he would pray to the Lord. It's by faith, right? But I'm representing, showing you. Guess what he got when he received Christ? Eternal life. It's in his son. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> now I'm acting like most Baptists led in Christ and left it. Um, they <laughs> had to watch that, don't we? And, uh, but yet, it's in there. It's not something attained to afterwards. It's in Christ. He is salvation. And so, here's this thing. So, if I were to ask, and you're a saved person, and I were to ask you, did you get forgiveness alone? The answer, the truthful answer would have to be no, it did not. Now, one other thing with this. and uh, You go back to this, then the other thing is, are you getting the Master? Now thank God, as a saved person, you got eternal life. And I could talk to about being sealed by the Spirit. I could talk about all these things. But we, we get that, okay? There's more, more than just forgiveness, as glorious as that is. But here's the real issue that I believe that comes out in this account, this parable. The issue comes down to this. The master, the king here, is very upset. Why? Because he said to the servant that he should have turned around and forgave in the same manner in which he was forgiven. Put it very simply, the servant got the king's forgiveness, but never got who the king was. We're happy to claim forgiveness. 
We're glad that our sins are forgiven. And we should be. There is nothing out of line with that. But that's not where it's supposed to stop. And if that is where it stops, then we will not be a forgiving people. God's divine purpose is not just that we be a forgiven people. God's divine purpose is that we will thusly become a forgiving people. And so show the life of Christ that we claim by faith lives inside of us. To the Galatians, Paul by the Spirit of God wrote this statement. He said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He said, he had already, they, they had received Christ and he talks about that. They were led astray by some people who came in and were bringing in bad doctrine and then someone ended up turning on Paul personally over that and such. But he said he had a travail for that church. He said, I have a, I have a travail I'm going through. And he said, it's like the heart and the mind of a mother towards a child. It's a, it's, a, it's a travail, he said, until Christ be birthed in you again. He said, I want you. He said, till Christ be formed in you. He said, you've been born by the Spirit of God. But you're not yet resembling the God by whose Spirit you've been formed. You're saved, but you're not being Christ-like. That was a huge problem in the Corinthian church, wasn't it? Where they would be puffed up for one against another and they were fighting and arguing over who was the most gifted and all this other stuff they did. What were they doing? What they were doing with that was they were, they were not showing forth the Christ who had saved them. I mean, you look how basic this thing is. And, and uh, I'll show you something else with this, but this is coming to me to show you. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, while we're over there, we'll be able to stay because it's, we'll be going back. I'll be taking you back to Ephesians in just a moment, but let me show you the end of it. Ephesians chapter 4. Can't get through Philippians. There we go. Run backwards. Ephesians. There we go. Thought Ephesians. I used to have a Bible from which I preached. My older Bibles and the book of Ephesians had fallen out of it. It was so tattered. I didn't want to get a new one. I had so many side notes on it and stuff. Didn't know of opportunities to get some things rebound at that time. And it fell out. And I, when I'd preach from Ephesians, I'd go looking around and find it because sometimes I'd have it stuck back in Proverbs or somewhere else. Where did Ephesians go? I thought I had that going on again here for a minute. But uh, it, it's here. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30 begins with the relationship with God and how our actions affect God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Wouldn't we rather be a joy to the Lord than be a grief to Him? Whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Isn't that amazing? In that same verse, warning us not to grieve Him, not to hurt Him. One great reason not to is because He has been gracious enough to seal us until the day of redemption. We should never take that lightly or trespass on that. Verse 31, Let all bitterness 
long held there, isn't it? And wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Then they go back exactly to what we were just learning from what Jesus said for the same reason. When the king said, I forgave you all that you owed me. <laughs> Unspeakable amount. Shouldn't you have went to the servant and done the same thing? You got forgiveness of your debt, but you didn't get what the king was about. God wants us to be like our Heavenly Father. He wants us to show Him to this world. And uh, we have to get what He's about. It's not just form and right answer. It's understanding what underlies it. And one of the key things is forgiveness. By the way, one of the beautiful things God does, you'll find when you learn to extend forgiveness, you yourself can be set free from the prison you're in. Forgiving of others is the key that unlocks the door to your prison. And God gives you the ability. You can do that by His power. I shouldn't have moved from Ephesians 4. I knew that, but I did anyway. I just want to see if I can find it again. Ephesians 4, let's go a little further back in the chapter. Faster that time. I'm getting better. Maybe after I've preached 50 years, I can find the books of the Bible quickly. Ephesians 4. Let's look at this thing about Christ being formed in us. And He gave some apostles, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? It answers. For the perfecting of the saints. You understand by that you're bringing to a full maturity and a full strength all the way across the board. Not just one or two characteristics which stand out and the rest are all diminished. So all these are given to accomplish this. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the multifaceted things you do, for the edifying, the building up, strengthening, for the edifying of the body of Christ, which of course is His church. How long and what's the end of it? Till we all, and it's God's desire for all of His children with this, till we all come in the unity of the faith, not of opinion, but the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Does that mean we come to a perfect man that somewhere? No, we come to that. We grow to that. We be in a maturing condition in all the different areas of our life. Have you ever met someone who's physically, everything seems to be fine, but emotionally they operate as if they're on a three, four, five-year-old level? They're emotionally immature for whatever reason. Some people are intellectually immature. People know who uh, try to help people who deal with these type of things and there has to be certain testing so you know how to work with them at what level to start, what, what is actually the appropriate way of dealing with them so that you're not overloading and that you're not 
letting him con you into not expecting something out of him, which is, believe me, many people who are called handicapped got the conning down to a science. They'll let you. So you got to figure out what can they actually do. So you're not expecting more than's real. And so you're not, you know, so they're not, they're not jiving you. <laughs> we, we have this within our own family. That's a nephew. And uh, so, you know, that's a tough thing, isn't it? Getting that right. But we would say that they haven't matured intellectually. And perhaps because of some, uh, some situation going on, perhaps they never will. But we might say that they, if you saw them, you might think they're a 20, 30, 40-year-old man. And you talk to them, you realize you're talking with someone whose comprehension such as maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. We're all familiar with that, aren't we? Well, God doesn't want us to be that way spiritually. If we talk to you about witnessing, you can talk as an adult on that. But if we talk about forgiveness, you're just a baby. If we talk to you about worshiping God, you're strong on that. But if we talk to you about witnessing for God, you can't talk about that. You see, God wants you maturing in all areas. A perfect man. That's the purpose. And the pastors and such have been given uh, why? To, for the body of Christ. For, from the Word of God to teach us what we need to know as I'm learning to be teaching and us to go forward so we can be maturing in all areas. That's what it's about. And it, it goes on and talks talks about this in verse 13 I start again till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that Christ would be in every area of our life be, be uh, honored and glorified in it that we henceforth what does this do? so going forward we be no more children tossed to and fro in other words you're just unstable can't be depended on when the Lord's work needs mature people to do mature work, they can't be found because you won't grow up. He doesn't want that. He wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. And He gives you the ability to grow. You can by the, by the grace of God, by learning His Word, you can. And we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's why people will come to a church and get people after them sometimes. They'll get their little groups to the side and they'll bring in erroneous doctrine because there's babies who can't discern it. We need to grow. You know, you should, hey, listen. I tell you, it's funny. When you're coming up and you hit that young adulthood and uh, later teens, young adult, there's so many sure deals that just can't fail. If I would testify that. Now, some people never outgrow that and these folks are lifelong targets. But you know, I mean, you, oh, this one's, I don't know how many times I've heard from young people in this church and even in my family. Well, this one, yeah, this one's for sure it's going to work. Then they think you're just a crabby old guy if you go, okay. Well, yeah, you know, it's for sure. This can't fail. They give you all the reasons why it can't fail. Well, give them a few years if they got sense at all. Not everybody does. But if they have sense at all, then they have a few for sure things land right on their head or get kicked out from under them. They get to it well when somebody comes and says, hey, can I take you to lunch? They start drawing on their napkin. They start telling you about the latest investment. They start telling you about, and this is it. And by the way, look, get this. Everybody who's starting this is a Christian. <laughs> Run! Right? Run. People are trying to sell you on Christianity. Run! It's 
all right if you're working with people who truly are, but if that's their selling point to get you into their, you know, their, whatever it's going, <laughs> there you go. Watch out for the brethrens. <laughs> it can be dangerous. Some of you granny, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? This one's going to, what well, ends up happening. Same way with doctrine. Same way with all this nonsense stuff. Some of us have seen these dog trails so many times we recognize them from the first step. This is the next. Oh man, they found this. And oh man, no, they didn't. It's recycled stuff. We used to hear teachers teach 25, 30 years ago, and they went off the scene and weren't from popular anymore. Now somebody repackaged it and they're selling it to people again, and people are following it. Again, suckered out good Bible believing churches to follow all the all the, the nonsense going on out there. Uh, why? Because it's the same stuff, same spirit, same garbage. I know pastor means well, but he just doesn't know this. There's a lot of things he doesn't know, but he does know his Bible somewhat, and he's got sense enough to know when he's looking at a wolf wearing wool. Just because they wear wool doesn't mean they're a sheep. I know the pastor means well. Well, I know he did, but you know, and I know, but now this is, that's old school. How old? Pretty old school. What is this? We grow up. After you grow up for a while, you start maturing, you start going, wait a minute. Something tastes funny about that. <laughs> My wife, this is funny. You talk about an area where we're polar opposites. My wife analyzes food. Actually, not critical of people's cooking, but she likes that she likes she likes cooking. I like the fact she likes cooking. Um, but we go somewhere, we get something, or she tries something new. She gets excited. I'm going to try this recipe. What do you think about that? Picture's pretty. Hope it tastes good. And uh, by the way, let me teach you something here too. Have a good relationship, solid, before you do this. Uh, um, my wife, and very seldom she cooks something I don't like, but if she cooks it and says, what do you think? If I don't like it, I tell her. You say, well, that's mean. No, it's not. I don't want that thing showing up again. Amen. <laughs> Get serious. <laughs> don't ask me if you don't want to know, you know. I did find the ultimate one since, uh, was, well, some of you got your wife right beside you, but okay, cover her ears for a minute. Uh, very seldom, but she'll pick something out. She has me look at her outfits and see. And I've never asked her for me to do that. She just does that. She wants my opinion on such. And she knows I look with a man's eyes, see if something's right, modest, appropriate, that sort of thing. And uh, she says, she comes to me and she says, what do you think of this? Only on a couple occasions has my wife picked out something that's on her and I'm going, mm-hmm. no. And I thought, now how am I going to help? Now food I'm brave with, but that, you know, how's this look on me? Mm-hmm. Why? Why would there be questions like that in this world? Um, <laughs> but here, get the spirit of this. I said, you know what? <laughs> You're far too beautiful of a lady to be in something like that. <laughs> And she goes, oh, you're a charmer. But she didn't hit me. And she also didn't wear it and it didn't look good. Uh, but here's the thing about it. You grow up for a while, you get to taste for things. I don't know where I was going. I'm going to get away from that trail, okay? What I was talking about is getting a taste for things. She sat and she says, this tastes, does this taste like it has such and such in it for you? And I'm like, I have no clue. And she asked me something else. And really, uh, she's nice about it, but I'm finally I'm like, honey. That's all I say is honey. And she goes, I know. And she'll quit. And I tell her, I'm not here to analyze food. I'm here to eat food. I don't want you analyzing my food while I eat. I want to eat the cotton-picking food. I don't want to cook it. I don't want to reconstruct it. Leave it alone. Let me eat it. Simple. 
Simple thing in life. Forgive me, I have anxiety. I need that song they sang. And, but she enjoys that. She does. She looks, and what are you thinking? This has a little bit that, and she'll cook sometimes. I think it has a little bit too much of this, or a little, you know, maybe I should have done this. That's what she's doing. She's analyzing that thing. Now, truthfully, truthfully, she's probably saved my life more than once because she has a much better sense of smell than I do and taste things. And we'll start to eat something. Honey, that, that doesn't taste right. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think we should eat that. <laughs> Thank God I have a digestive tract that can handle anything. <laughs> it's like I already swallowed, you know, two-thirds of it and was looking at hers. And it's... Uh... <laughs> but you grow up in the Lord as you're growing in the Lord. And as you mature in the Lord, as we all go forward in Him, you start developing a taste for what truth is. And you may not be able to write down and say, okay, that... That messes up this doctrine and that's off over here. Here's the verses that doesn't match, but here's what you will get. Eh, Something's messed up with that. And give you a bit of advice from a man with very little sense of smell and who can eat kind of quick sometimes. Don't keep eating if it tastes like that. <laughs> Wonderful. No, just, it's time to bail out. There's other things in the refrigerator, okay? And as we grow, God's wanting you. Look, I mean all of you. Not just a few people. He wants every one of you that belong to Him to keep growing in all the different areas of life. He wants you to get not just forgiveness alone. Thank God you got forgiveness. I mean, that's incredible. But He wants you to get what He's about. He wants me to get what He's about. So that as forgiven people, then we can properly represent Him to other people that they can know His forgiveness and that they can be helped in life. And we can keep, and that finishes out there in Ephesians, saying that we grow up, we go to the head, which is Christ. We become more like Him in what we do. I promise you, He'll help you with it because it's God's will. Let me pray with you, all right? Father, thank You for Your words this morning. And uh, we want to grow. Ask You, Lord, right now, ask You. I'm asking You to show me. There He is. You have already. You did this morning when I was looking over this again. And uh, thank You for that graciousness. Lord, may we be open to You that we may grow to be like You. Bless this invitation time with seeking hearts that seek to be in Your image, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation. Wouldn't this be a good time to say, Lord, search me and show me. Show me the areas. Show me where you want to work and just be open to Him. Why don't you this morning? If you need to come, bring something to the Lord. Why don't you come this morning?